Welcome to Drink Beer, Think Beer, the podcast that gets to the bottom of every pint. I'm John Hall. This week on the show, I'm glad to have Mary and Brian Rooney of BKS Artisan Ales in Brookside, Missouri. They're here to talk about consumer preferences, tinkering with styles, near endless choice, and the regionality of brewing. But first, please go visit allaboutbeer.com for original articles, reviews, news, insights, and podcasts. You can listen to shows like Brewer to Brewer and the All About Beer podcast simply by searching All About Beer wherever you listen to shows. This show and all of the work we do, it's supported by you. And you can help by going and visiting patreon.com slash allaboutbeer. There, you can keep the content fresh because a few bucks goes a long way to fund writers, photographers, creators, and editors. And if you'd like to learn more about advertising on this show or any of our shows, please email info at allaboutbeer.com. A few weeks ago, I had the chance to meet and chat with Mary and Brian Rooney. They're the owners of BKS Artisan Ales in Missouri. They were pouring as part of the Little Beers Festival, and we had a lot of fun batting around ideas while I learned about their brewing philosophy and approach to hospitality. They opened BKS in 2017, and the name comes from the commonly used abbreviation of the Brookside neighborhood of Kansas City, where the brewery is located. Mary runs the front of the house, and Brian works in the brewery. And despite what the brewery's full name is, he's also creating a multitude of loggers through his Pivo project. And we get into that and more. Here's our conversation. When I think about Missouri in general, um, Kansas City obviously has some some great beer traditions uh, in the craft sense. And the state at large has uh, great beer traditions in the large macro sense and regardless if i'm thinking of anheuser-busch or boulevard with both of them i often think about quality and i think about commitment to 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 styles or to doing what they're doing regardless of how people might feel about ownership um when you both were thinking about opening up the brewery and and being the size that you are how did the histories of those two brands and the others that came before you and sort of the expectations that drinkers have, how did that play into launching BKS? If at all. (laughs) I, I would say that uh, it did play into it in the sense of um, those things were really well established and we were trying to find a different way to carve out a spot for ourselves in Kansas city. Um, so we were at the time, this is like 2017 when we started, we were pretty inspired by, um, some of the beers that we didn't see in our market, uh, primarily from the West coast and the East coast. And we saw an opportunity to kind of, uh, carve out a space for ourselves in Kansas city and maybe bring, uh, some of those styles of beer to market that really hadn't hadn't really been uh, produced in Kansas City. And so we were thinking uh, there was a good opportunity for us to maybe take a run at it and see uh, how the beer drinkers here respond to those sorts of things. And um, that's really, really how we ran it. So we weren't trying to uh, necessarily produce beers that the beer drinkers here had already seen. Although um, we we had found out um, in, in just talking with, with our friends and with customers that would come in 
that, uh, you know, there still was a desire to see some of that. And so um, we have, you know, we kind of start out with a blend of uh, what's more on the cutting edge with like hoppy um, and stouts. And then also striking a balance with um, what we saw were some intriguing styles uh, from an English standpoint, uh, as well as we, we did some, some early mixed fermentation sort of things. We don't do so much of that anymore. Um, that was kind of how we started out with it. So we were trying to be a little different, uh, trying to bring something to market that maybe beer drinkers around here hadn't quite seen, but really wished was present in the marketplace. In thinking of 2017, when so much was happening in in, in the beer space, um, I guess I'm sort of surprised that there wasn't the options that you're talking about, yeah. even just what, five, six years ago. Right. Yeah. So the the Midwest, we've kind of, I would say what we see with beer trends, historically, we had been quite a few years behind what we would see um, starting out on the coasts. Obviously, even Kansas City specifically, because I think some of those are being brewed in like St. Louis or Chicago, but Kansas City, for whatever reason, uh, was a little delayed in getting some of that smaller craft brewery scene um, in our region. Do you have any theories as to why? Um, well, I think that if you think about the Midwest or Midwest beer drinker, and in particular, if I'm going to talk about Kansas city, I think, um, beer drinkers were very content with, um, what some of the more established, uh, breweries in the, in the region were doing very distribution heavy. And, uh, I think that that was, that was sufficient enough to meet most people's needs with all of that. But there was sort of around that time, I think about, um, a smaller group of beer drinkers that are a little bit more passionate about what's emerging uh, out on the, on the coast, on the east and the west side. And there is very much an appetite for it. So um, it, it was a smaller group. So we kind of started down the path with that uh, in the early days. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I don't know why Kansas City was delayed. I think it was more of just you know, maybe some of their bigger metros had more resources or had more, more investment, but um, there were small craft breweries. They just weren't necessarily um, as many. <laughs> yeah, I, that's, I think that's just a, a overall a trend that you see. I mean, I'm born and raised in the Midwest and uh, I've spent a great deal of my time in Kansas City. I did live in Portland, Oregon, and then Denver before moving back to this area and living in Kansas City. And I think it's just a, it's a recognizable trend where you see a lot of things um, first take off um, over to the east or the west, and then it takes a little while to 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 get its way into the Midwest and kind of come into uh, consciousness here. And that's not necessarily just a beer thing. I mean, that could be you know pretty much anything um, you know food, culinary wise, uh, <laughs> all that type types of stuff. Yeah. Um. So in thinking about what was happening on the coasts and what you wanted to bring to the beer conversation of uh, of Kansas City, where you are now, how does that square with your thoughts back then? I think we're I think we're 
still a bit the same, but we've evolved. And so when we, we first came to market, um, there was a, like I was saying, there was an opportunity for us to uh, fill what I thought was a void for, for hazy IPA in Kansas city. And then um, I also saw some opportunities around some other sessionable styles that weren't really being done. And so we, we've stayed with that. I mean, hazy IPA is, probably 75% of what we sell. And it's, it's a, you know, a strong selling segment for us for sure. And as time has gone on and I'm happy about this, I've seen uh, trends with West coast IPA coming back, uh, lager becoming more prominent. And I've seen um, our, our uh, Kansas city beer drinkers sentiments and considerations around those styles increasing. And so we've been, we've been brewing more and more and more of those styles. And I'm surprised by it that, uh, how quickly it's changing. So change back like in 2016, 2017, like I said, it might take three, five years for trends to arrive where we are at now things, it seems like, especially after pandemic are almost occurring as quickly as they're happening out on the coast. And so we've just seen this rapid, sort of return to, um, you know, traditional and, and classic lager styles. Uh, also some more modernized versions of it, which we're very much into. And then uh, the West Coast IPA has come back in, in a pretty strong way, but with a little bit more of a, a modern, different edge to it. And uh, our, the consumers around here, the beer, beer drinkers around here um, are really into it. So we, we have seen Hazy IPA for us, on draft, it would sell like three to one almost over everything else we would have in our tasting room. And now uh, lager will go one to one with that on draft. We'll sell as much huh. lager in a weekend as we will uh, hazy IPA or West Coast IPA. And, yeah. and I think that's great. I mean, that's really showing, in my opinion, uh, a maturing craft beer scene like, you know, American craft beer drinking scene is very, very young overall. And I think you're starting to see people's palates and understanding of what quality is and um, why it's interesting and fun to try more than just one or two styles. And you're seeing a, a return sort of to uh, more classic and traditional, but also just modernized versions of those. And, and I think that that just shows uh, how, how things have evolved and, and matured with, with our beer scene in Kansas city. Yeah. When, oh, sorry, Mary, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, I think on draft, we see that I think in a to-go format. It's different. It's different, but. How so? Um, definitely the IPAs, specifically hazy IPAs, sell way faster than our sessionable you know, or lager styles. So it's definitely the. the, so, the four, so the four pack of haze is still kind of controlling that conversation running that conversation from a yeah from a number like quantity perspective somebody's going to come in and, and maybe buy a flat of hazy ipas if we have multiple of them very rarely do i see somebody come in and buy a flat of of lager but they'll put a four pack of water sure, they'll put one in there where they might not sure. a little yeah. palate cleanser yeah <laughs> and it is yeah you gotta have that <laughs> the it's interesting with uh with with to go versus on premise so it's the weirdest thing 
And I know we're not the only brewery that's noticed this. I've talked to plenty that have said the same thing. So if we put like a hazy double IPA on tap, it doesn't sell as good as the lager or maybe the West Coast IPA or the hazy IPA that's on tap. But the double I, the hazy double IPA will be the number one selling uh, skew to go that week when we have it out in cans. And so I think maybe our theory on this is that uh, you know, certainly around here, everybody has nice expansive backyards and, uh, they like, they like, uh, having beers at home. Um, we're not in, like really cramped sort of like urban section of like a, a bigger city. And so people can drive their cars and pick stuff up and take it home or have a barbecue in their backyard. Yeah. And so, you know, you can only have so many double IPAs in a tasting room setting, uh, you're probably more inclined to have a couple more of those in your own backyard where you're just staying home. So maybe that's, I don't know. I try to think about why is that happening? Um, because it's just two distinct sort of trends um, on to-go versus draft uh, consideration for beers. You've had the benefit of being open before the pandemic mm-hmm. began in earnest. Um, and seeing sort of some of the consumer trends uh, before that versus versus now. And I mean, the drinking at home sort of makes sense uh, of people who've kind of gotten used to it and they they like the comfort of their home, but they want to be able to 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 drink what they want to. Um, has there has there been a shift of the beers that you were making for the at home consumption over I mean, the last like pre and post pandemic or pre and uh, during, I, I would, I, I would say not intentionally. So, okay. So, so pre pre pandemic, um, we had a, we had a little bit of a different lineup, uh, than what we, what we do today. Like I said, we were, we were brewing some like, um, mixed fermentation, fruited sour sort of stuff. And then we kind of ceased that. And when we went into pandemic, um, we pretty much just took with us the IPA segment of, uh, what it is that we brew because that's what people wanted most of and our tasting room wasn't open at all we were shut down for more than a year yeah and uh so we were just we were producing just new cans of uh, different ipas nonstop for like a year and every once in a while infusing a lager into there or one of our English styles. Uh, but we had to, you know, that was our, our lifeblood. We didn't have any other way to make money. And that was what the greatest demand was, was just IPA. But as we've come out of, of pandemic, I think that we have changed quite a bit about how, what we're interested in brewing, what we're interested in sharing with people that come into our tasting room. We're not going to abandon how we brew IPA, that's still, of course, a strong piece for what we do. But because we were making so much hoppy stuff, we kind of got interested in, you know, the other things that are not hoppy. And we really wanted those to return to our tasting room. And so we've we really delved more into like English style, uh, certainly into lager in a much bigger way um, and a lot of different styles. And then revisiting some classics too, like just classic American like uh, pub types of beers that uh, you know maybe we wouldn't have done a couple of years ago. But it's because we have a fascination of like wanting to drink and experience those because we're just I mean I didn't get burned out on IPAs, but 
you know, a year, a year and a half straight of drinking those, you'll, you'll look for something else. Yeah, that's what I think we, we grew. So uh, before 2019, like from 2017 to 2019, we were maybe making 500 barrels a year. Mm-hmm. Uh, now we're at 1200 barrels a year. So that also enabled us to expand what we're brewing. And we, we, our model is um, we have a lot of small fermenters, so we can make so many different styles. Um, we're not making just one big batch. We're making, you know, four different batches a week, five, four or five different batches. So that allows us to do that where we can still make our IPAs at the pace we were making them before, but now we can work in those different styles that Brian was mentioning in some other tanks. So yeah, I think what's changed is maybe some consumer behaviors, but also we've changed as a brewery of how much we're making, um, our size, our capacity to serve the customer. You know, Mm -hmm. there's, there's a few things that have changed, not just with, um, yeah. And we were, I would say in those, uh, those first few years, we were really focused on a specific segment of craft beer drinker and trying to attract, uh, their attention, you know, people that were into hazy beer, um, were into maybe some adjuncted stout types of things. Those were the things that were able to get quick attention and get people to come into your tasting room. Oh, sure. And then, you know, but we still always had a commitment to sessionable beer behind it. And I think that that's the thing that also grew is that as people tried those beers and began to trust how we were brewing those and and appreciating the quality of it, they were more apt to visit some of these styles they might not normally consider. And then I think that they have, um, you know, kind of created their own following because people had the option of like, well, I'll give this a try. I like your other beers that are the ones that I'm here for. And then they try those and then they've come back year after year to buy those. And have kind of, I I would say, um, you know, it's kind of like a little bit of a, a habitual sort of thing. It's like you come in and you're going to have the hazy beer, but then you'll go with our English mild after that. You know, you want to get into something more sessionable and, people are staying in the tasting room longer than they used to, uh, which is great too, because there are more sessionable offerings rather than just, uh, you know, higher ABV sorts of things. And so I, I, I love seeing that. I think that's really uh, indicative of a healthy tasting room as you have a diverse beer lineup. Uh, but the uh, consumers that are coming in trust you enough that they'll try some things that are maybe not normally in their wheelhouse or what they're comfortable ordering. And then, they enjoy it. And, uh, I think that all fits into the whole, um, evolution of what's going on with beer in Kansas city and, and, and Midwest beer drinkers. Well, I think it's yeah. also cool to see like a family come in, you know, and we have something that we can kind of, you know, like maybe there's a, you know, obviously all drinking age family, but, um, <laughs> <laughs> even though, well, know, full disclaimer. Yeah. yeah. You know, we can find something that everybody likes. Um, so that, you know, we kind of have a range of styles and within limitation, we don't have, you know, we don't typically only have about nine beers on tap. Um, versus I know a lot of tap rooms have, you know, up, you know, up to 20 or more, we don't have the space for, for more than nine, but we can still within that nine, usually find something that everyone likes. Um, so that's kind of a cool thing where, you know, like Brian was saying, we have more of the traditional style that maybe somebody likes 
um, you know, a wheat beer, but then we still have the, the hazy IPA or the West coast IPA, you know, kind of a range of things that usually somebody will find the, their style of beer. <laughs> yeah. I dig that. Um, I, I wonder how, if you've had the conversation with folks, you know, we were talking about this a little bit um, at Little Beers down in uh, Georgia um, uh, with West Coast IPA, or I think we were, at least it was a, it was a late night. Um, there's, there's been a lot of conversation about West Coast IPAs gaining popularity um, again, Uh uh, among new drinkers uh, or drinkers that came up only in the age of haze, um, and then you know some 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 of the older drinkers as well who are uh, looking for nostalgia or um, hoppy bitterness and 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 you know, something that's a little bit uh, more bracing. When when you're in the tap room and you're seeing some of the West Coasts um, that that you're doing, do you find that people can jump from haze to clear from? Uh, juicy to bitter uh, or vice versa and if so how how are you having that conversation with folks or what 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 are they saying when they're jumping back and forth mary you probably know that best because you're i i don't spend as much time uh serving beer as i used to um but i will say uh what i've observed is uh, we'll still have somebody, the first beer they come in and they order a hazy IPA. And then I've really quickly noticed that the next one they're ordering is usually like a West Coast. And so it seems like people start with a little bit more residual body in their hoppy beer choice and then start choosing drier and more sessionable beers as, as the day goes on, if you're going to have more than one. Um, but it's interesting. I've also just my observations of beer trends in general uh, regarding regarding hazy IPA and West Coast is I'm kind of I'm kind of seeing like a, a, a change in, in hazy IPA or hazy beer altogether like it, it seems to be two two factions of it maybe like where I'm seeing like the East Coast interpretation of it seems to have a little more residual body the turbidity is higher maybe there's some more residual sweetness that's in that. And then on the West coast, you see like what's referred to as like hazy West coast IPA or, you know, new England styles that are, are brewed with a much drier perception to it and maybe a little more elevated bitterness. And I think that, um, you know, where our beer sits is we're somewhere in between that we don't have an overly sweet one or anything like that. Um, but I see, I see the beer trends with hazy beer, um, really sort of going this, it's leaning into a little bit drier territory lately. Um, and I think that's great. It just means there's more, more drinkability to it. I don't, Mary, you probably talk to people like what their preferences are once they come in the tasting room, like what you see. Yeah. I mean, I think, um, there's definitely certain people who only stick with the haze. <laughs> um, that's just the style they like. And, you know, they just, that's what they want, but uh, definitely seeing more and more interest in the West coast. And I would say the way we make the West coast style isn't super bitter. Um, there's a you know, hint of bitterness um, it is very clean, uh, drier finish, but it isn't the, the as bitter and malty as, 
you know, a lot of people when they hear, you know, old school West style, you know, we're not really making that type of old school West style. So it's a little more approachable, I think, for some people who are looking to find an alternative to the haze. And I also have heard people who are just, you know, I don't want hazy beer right now. I'm kind of, you know, want something when it's hot out or maybe just their mood. They just don't want it. Um, They would prefer the the more cleaner West Coast. um, Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I do see people kind of shift from from both kind of going back and forth. Um, and it's perhaps the the future of of uh, IPA as we know it is, um, you know, there's a place for all of it. And I think that there's just been such wild interest in the hazy style for like the last seven years. And like everything with those trends, the the weight of all that interest ends up crushing itself at some point, uh, <laughs> you know, you're as, as that style uh, has been brewed by almost every brewery out there. I, I visit like it's on draft, like just five years ago, a lot of places didn't have it or, you know, didn't know how to execute it, but as more information has become available, more people are doing it. And, but it's, it's, it's a style that's brought in uh, new beer drinkers, you know, um, mm-hmm. into hoppy hoppy beer categories that they might not have liked IPA. Then they had the hazy beer and they gave hops a chance. And then now they're opening up to going back to West coast Mm -hmm. IPA. So I see it as a, a, uh, a a great segment um, for us to, to brew beer in, but definitely, you know, there's going to be, there's going to be a place for all of it, I think. And, and a place for uh, between type of styles, you know, I don't, we forever wanted to call those Midwest style IPAs, but that never seems to catch on. So <laughs> yeah, <laughs> stay tuned there. Yeah. The one that I've kind of been surprised about is uh, we make a, uh, we call it a West coast pale ale. Um, but it's, you know, you know, Brian probably can tell exactly what it is, but it's, you know, it's more of a, a you know, 5% pale ale that has a little more hops to it. It's clear. And that's been super popular mm-hmm. um, on tap, especially on tap. I think to go as well, but really the you know people come in. It's got a, a great uh, flavor profile, got a little bit of hop profile, but it's super super sessionable. Yeah, older older school like sea hops that are involved in it, um, but a softer bitterness, but punchier sort of hop nose to it. And that's been that's been a great one. I was not so sure how people would respond to that here. And um, like Mary said, it's, it's great to see those sorts of things. So we're just seeing, like I said, overall, a lot of people are, are looking for new experiences with beer. And I think that's kind of where we fit into the picture, certainly in Kansas city and maybe people that are visiting Kansas city. Um, you come into our tasting room, we have almost um, uh, a whole set of new beers almost every yes, week because we have we have 19 fermenters ranging uh, ranging from size of, uh, five barrel to 10 barrel. This is 19 of them. And in those fermenters, there's 19 different beers at any given time. They're never the same ones that are in there. So we're we're bringing out new new skews like every every week. It's four or five, quote unquote, new beers. It might be a beer we haven't brewed in eight eight months or so, but, um, we work it into the rotation where it's, um, you know, maybe it has a variation on it, or it's just something you haven't seen in, in a long time. But when you come in, it's kind of a new experience, but something familiar that, you know, as a brewer, how are you keeping up with that? Uh, (laughs) it's, uh, I don't get a day off from thinking about it. I would say, 
Um, we, we have to stay really organized around all of that. And when we've, I've had friends from other breweries that visit and when they start to get the, the picture of how many fermenters that is. And then we have, I, uh, we have seven bright tanks also, um, it gives us a lot of options to work with, but it is, it is chaotic. So we have to stay very organized. We do have software that helps us manage it, which has been incredibly helpful. Um, and Mary's been really good with that. She's our, she knows how to work the air table stuff. Uh, I don't know what I'd do without it. So, but I, I spend most of my early part of the week tasking out everything for the, the three full timers that, uh, work with us on the brewing side. And it's like every week it's going through thinking about what are their individual tasks that they need to do in reference to where we need to drive all of these beers to. And, uh, I love it. I love having, the challenge of it's almost like we're a pub brewery, but at like a very like intense scale. Um, and I, I think that's fun and challenging. And I think I would be a little bit uh, sort of bored with the process if we started just brewing the same beers over and over again. So, <laughs> I mean, I'm just, I'm sort of stuck on that 19 number, which is yeah, just, I mean, it, it, it's a lot of fun, but so walk me through your creativity uh, process of when you're trying to, you mentioned early on in this, this conversation, um, modern twists on classics. Mm-hmm. And I'm wondering if there's an example of a beer or two uh, that either you have on or that you've done recently that are good examples of that and maybe sort of how how those beers come together in your mind and then execution yeah um i got i two examples of that i I think so to to think about our brewery we have one side is where all of our lockers are done and we kind of have this side brand that we've named it pivo project by bks artisan ales and that's where all of our our lager is um fermented and lagered at and then we have all of our ales side, like the VKS Artisan Ales is all on the other side of the brewery. So we kind of keep those endeavors separate and we have to put on like a different way of uh, thinking about what our brew day is, what our cellaring is. Like, so I like, I like the idea of segmenting ales from lagers because they are two very different approaches for brewing and fermenting. Uh, and then also how we treat them up to the packaging process. And so when you compartmentalize, so we have seven lager tanks and, uh, or seven lager fermenters, and then we have two lagering vessels. And so all of our lager goes out of those tanks and then we bring them over to our packaging side once they're lagered out and ready to go. Uh, but we, we have done, um, this beer, it's basically a dry hopped modern Pilsner. And we've done it a couple different ways. We've taken traditional um, like Czech style uh, pills, like Bohemian pills, and then introduced um, along with like Czech sauce hops in the, in the, on the hot side, we'll uh, in the whirlpool, we'll infuse in things like mosaic or Nelson Sauvin um, uh, or Hallertal Blanc, uh, more modern German aroma variety there. We'll, we'll, spin some of those in and then we'll dry hop with those a little bit. So we're taking influences of almost like what an Italian style Pilsner is, but then we're modernizing the hop with like um, Pacific Northwest and New Zealand. 
and trying to give this more modern take to the idea of like what a, you know, it's Czech influenced from the base, but then it turns distinctly American with the blend that we're, we're putting into it. And then sometimes we'll play around with some um, German lager yeast and do the same concept, but we call it a dry hop modern pills and it's 5.25%. I'm really into those because uh, it's how I want to drink hops now. I'm 45 years old. I can't drink 8% ABV. Or Amen. Even, Amen. Uh, <laughs> yeah, so, yeah. And I, and it's fun for me because it's a really clean backdrop to showcase um, these different lots of, of hops that we're getting. Cause we, we put a lot of love and care into how we select those and wanting to showcase them in a, uh, a fun way for our, for our customers that come in. And so we're having a, a blast making those beers on the, like the ale side. And I think maybe I, I think maybe I gave you one of these beers when we were in, in Georgia for the little beer fest. And it wasn't one of the ones we poured as just some beers I brought, but it was like a, it's an unfiltered cold IPA. And the idea is kind of taking the concept of the, of the cold IPA, but introducing it in an unfiltered format. And, uh, you know, we built the base out with that, with, uh, German Pilsner malt and then, uh, flaked rice and a little bit of corn. And then, um, we approached the dry hop, uh, like you almost would like a West coast IPA. Uh, I think that one was mosaic and Amarillo that was in there. And, uh, that's when I learned you didn't like mosaic, right? <laughs> yeah, no, I can't stand mosaic. I love, I love, mosaic. I, li- I like certain, mos- I like old school, um, old yeah. school mosaic, like the blueberry, the blueberry. Shape. Yeah. Like the very, yeah. And it's so it hard to find like those lots these it. days, but yeah. 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 Everything's gone a lot more like uh diesel-y yes. sort of, uh, it's the, it's the caddy thing for me that I just can't. Yeah, and uh, I love that too. I love both okay. of those. Okay. I, I, I am firmly in the minority of this. And I, I understand that like Mosaic has, has just washed over the country and palates are in love with it. And um, I can appreciate it for what it is. And when I'm tasting the beers in it, I will uh, look past my own dislike to see the merits of of, of a finished beer, but it's not something that in social drinking situations um, that I actively reach for. Yeah. It's um, it is interesting how we we've seen mosaic in general is now seemingly taking a lot of lead interest on, on, on West coast IPA. Um, and I'm surprised by that. I just would always feel like it would be more sea hop driven, like your cascade centennial Chinook, Columbus sort of things would always have the and still do have a place there, but you're seeing this uh, mosaic and then like Strata has certainly made its way in there a lot more. But um, yeah, so that's kind of like when we talk about a modern take on those sorts of things, I think that's the fun thing is like, what can we, what can we do that's already been done, but it's a little bit different and draws on some of our influences and interests that we have at the moment. And how can we do something a little different with not without being obnoxious about it, you know, we want we want the beer still to stand up and um, have something behind it that you recognize. Like, yes, this is I understand where this is coming from, and it is modernized because of these specific hops that are used in there. It's just a different sort of take with it. And I, and I think our like the number of fermenters we have and the size of fermenters we have allow us to do some of that experimentation because uh, we can do a little smaller batch, try it out, see if we like it. 
you know, and then we can repeat it. Mm-hmm. Or what I've also seen is like, we'll try, try it one time. And you're like, you know, we really, really could improve on that. So then next time we make it, it's just like, okay, oh, this is what we're looking for. So it just mm-hmm. takes a few rounds of maybe brewing a more traditional style. And how do we kind of just tweak it slightly enough that it's uniquely our own? Yeah. And then it's, uh, it's bending an ear towards, you know, I spend a lot of time trying to to figure out like what's interesting that's being that's being brewed uh or produced that's out there um that i haven't been able to try and you know if i can read up on a little bit maybe it seems intriguing and i'll give it a shot like so i was reading about um british style golden ale and and what that is um and all i could do is imagine how it must taste and so that's been one that we've made a, a few times and, and have loved it. And it's kind of a modernized sort of like, uh, it's not like, a, I wouldn't call it like a modern English pale ale. And I certainly wouldn't call it like a modern bitter, but it's somewhere in that realm. And so you're using like East Kent Goldings, but then some modern hops, like we use Cascade in it. And in fact, at the, at Little Beer Fest, we did a, a collab uh, a couple weeks before uh, with Good Word and we did a modern English pale ale. It was kind of like an idea around that British style golden ale uh, where I was talking with them about um, just infusing some modern hops into this classic English pale ale base. And it worked wonderfully with it. And I think that that's, when we're talking about modernizing, it's just uh, thinking, what else can we do on top of what we already know that will really be uh, characterful and, and balance? And what I mean by balance is that it's not you know, it's not, it doesn't lean too hard to one side or another. It's, it's got like some symbiotic relationship that the cascade we put in there works overall with everything else. I, I get the impression that you have a, a, a healthy respect for tradition, but you don't like being hamstrung by styles mm-hmm. or what that, people think styles are. I would say that's fair. Um, and I think that that just comes from where my own curiosity around beer is. Um, I, I do have a very healthy respect for classic styles and we do classic styles and, and um, I aspire to always execute those uh, in, in the best possible way that we can um, paying tribute to those styles that, that, that I love drinking. But I think that um, beer drinkers in, in general that we see coming through the tasting room, everybody loves to, loves to try what's new. And in fact, that's kind of, we hear that all the time or what's the new, mm-hmm. what's the new thing. And yeah. For, for better or for worse, <laughs> like I said, I like having 19 fermenters and managing that and it's fun, but then I'm also envious when I see people that uh, have a flagship that they can make over and over again. Uh, and so, but I think that where we've taken uh, people's consideration for their visit to our tasting room is they expect us to have something new. And so it's a good creative process to kind of sit there with our team and come up with like, what can we do here? Or we've got, you know, these lager fermenters opening up in a couple weeks. What's, what's something that we're interested in that we can try that's try and pull off. That's a little bit different, but still paying homage to, you know, some, some classical base behind it you know and so that's kind of kind of where we start with it i dig that um mary you spend a lot of time in the tasting room is 
it is mostly people asking for what's new. Are, are you starting to see folks or are there folks who say like, if something comes on uh, and then it's quickly replaced by something that was on one of the 19 fermenters, um, are there people who are starting to long for regular beers on tap? Yeah, I, I, I think there's two customer bases that, that we kind of see and maybe Brian kind of sort of touched on it. We see the, the, the customer that wants the new, what's the newest um, option. And then we have the customer who wants in, come in and wants our Rock Hill and Locust English Mild Ale. <laughs> you know, they want that on tap every time they come in. So we try to do our best. Um, it doesn't always work, but we try to have something that is somewhat consistently on tap or a certain, at least in a certain style element. Um, so yeah, I definitely hear people like, oh, I really wanted to try that one, or I wish you'd bring this one back. Um, that was a great, you know, a great logger or whatever. So we absolutely, I think we have a little bit of both. Um, and even within the same, could be the same person <laughs> that wants to come in and always have one beer that they, they know and love. And then they want to try maybe their second beer or something new, but we, we see that. And we have gotten a few of our brands that people know. And so like counterculture is our, our most brewed and, and well-known hazy IPA. So when we have that one, which we don't always have, it, it sells out very quickly because people know it and want it and they see it in the, you know, the to-go option. And they're like, I'm going to grab that because I know I've had it before. I know I like it. Um, but then you get the other person that comes in and hey, this is the new release this week. We've never done it before. And, and they want that one. So we kind of see a little bit of, of a cross segment um, people wanting something that they feel comfortable with, but also those who, who are always looking for the, yeah. the newest and greatest. <laughs> there's, there's an interesting thing in the tasting room that I've seen is if, if you have uh, <laughs> two or three hazy IPAs on, consumers can sometimes be confused about it. Like I think the people that are big fans of what we do, they understand that what the nuances and the dry hop are that are different, but then, you know, like, um, if, uh, like my dad came in and had one of those beers, which he would not choose a hazy IPA, but if he did, he wouldn't know the difference between those three and like, why are there three of these and <laughs> the difference? And yeah. so what we've learned, uh, over time is that it's better to just have a few distinctly different beers than it is to have a lot of certain styles and have Same. a bunch of taps. It's overwhelming for, for um, people to come into and make a decision. And so they can try a hazy IPA. It's whatever the new one is that we have. And they're like, oh, that's good. I like that. And then they'll go over to the uh the fridge to take some to-go four packs home and they might pick some different hazy IPAs that are in can format to take with them. Um, but I think that's also goes with lager. Like I can't, I can't put a dry hop lager on, like I was saying, like we'll do a modern dry hop pills and then have a West coast IPA right next to it. That becomes confusing for, for a lot of customers as well. They're like, well, what's the difference? These are both hoppy and, you know, maybe there's some differences in bitterness and, malt character that a more uh, advanced or astute palate would understand. Um, but, you know, so we're trying to balance, like when I'm going to have a, a modern a dry hop, modern pills, I'm probably not going to have the West coast IPA on. And so we're just trying to curate the menu 
So as you get through it, there's these distinct little things that are unique and interesting for each beer that you try. And certainly with stouts, we've realized this, we used to do a lot more adjunct types of stouts. Um, and when I mean adjunct, I'm talking about like coffee, vanilla, cacao nib, things like that. I mean, we weren't putting like cereal and things like that into the beers. Um, but what we've come to find out is now we're really just making like a really basic oatmeal stout that we love and we put it on nitro and that scratches the the stout itch for people that are into it. And it's a lovely beer and it's low ABV and same thing. Like we might do a milk stout that's sessionable. It's like 5.6% ABV and it's just going to have vanilla in it or cacao nib. And, and that's sufficient. We don't have to uh, have like all these different options with tons of things in them, you know? And so it works really well for our small brewery and it definitely provides people uh, the lineup of beer that they're looking for when they come in. I dig that. Uh, mindful of your time. Uh, I wanted to ask you each the green door question. So um, you're under no obligation to answer um, uh, together or to include each other, uh, obviously, even though you're sitting next to each other. But uh, the green door question, if you're not familiar, is in the last season of The Good Place, uh, they introduce a concept of a green door that you can walk through and be anywhere uh, doing whatever you want to do uh, in your wildest imaginations. So if we had a green door on our plane of existence and this conversation ended and you could walk through it and be in any pub or any brewery anywhere uh, in the world, where would you want to go? Who would you want to be with? And what would you like to be drinking? And Brian, I'll start with you. All right. Well, I know, I know that right away is I've been asked that question before <laughs> and up until I was just in Georgia, I'd never been to the the brick store pub before. And so maybe that would be my answer now. If I Did think. I ask you this question? No, you didn't. Uh, I'd never been there before, but I've, I've had somebody's like, if you could have any beer, you know. Oh, okay. Or, or like, I'm like, who's who's stealing my shit no, that yeah. I stole from the good place? Yeah. yeah or somebody asked like, what's, what's your favorite place if you could go have a beer at? Yeah. I, I would tell you some places, but. I had a fantastic experience there before we got on our flight and went home. I was like, I'm coming back to this place. Yeah, but, but I would say I had uh, an amazing like IPA epiphany at Pizza Port Ocean Beach uh, a long time ago. God, it must have been 2012. And there was a, John, you're going to hate this. It was an all mosaic West Coast IPA. That's fine. This is, this is your, this is your story. I'm not, I'm not trying yeah, to <laughs> I, I, I tell anybody I like mosaic. Um, so I would, I would be there uh, and I would have the beer. I think it was called Foxtrot was the name of it. I don't know if they make it anymore. And I haven't been to back to San Diego in forever, but I need to go, go visit some friends there. Uh, but I would be there. And of course, Mary would be with me and I'd get one of those delicious pizzas that they have too, as I love pizza and IPA. Mary, what about you? Uh, so I, when you said that, my mind went to Germany because I've been to Germany, but when I was really young, but visited some, my early twenties, but did some awesome breweries. I don't remember the names of them <laughs> um, at this point, but I think Brian and I never had the chance to go to Germany or the Czech Republic together. So I think if if we could go to some of those places together through the green door, have some awesome, you know, German loggers and, and Czech pilsners, that would probably be my choice of where we would go 
at the very, at this, I can't say which places because we would need to decide uh, when we get yeah. there, but. Uh, thanks for bringing me. Yeah, thanks for, <laughs> come along, let's go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I, I think that experience there is so uniquely different. Um, and I think we have, you know, we, we draw a lot of inspiration from those, those styles of beers, but to actually be able to go together and try them together. And, and yeah. I think that would be kind of, we, we've talked about it. We just haven't been able to get away from the brewery had, long enough. found the time in the last six yeah. years. Yeah. Well, that's awesome. And I hope you guys get to do that. Uh, both of them. Uh, thanks for taking the time, sharing some insights and, and being on the show this week. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks for having us. Questions, comments, guest suggestions, you can email me. It's John Hall. That's J-O-H-N-H-O-L-L at allaboutbeer.com. Or you can tell me on Twitter at John underscore Hall. A reminder, you can go visit allaboutbeer.com. There you can check out the podcast page, the merch page, and read great new content, as well as the archives that go back to 1979. You can also follow All About Beer on social media at allaboutbeer. And if you're interested in supporting journalism in the beer space, email us at info at allaboutbeer.com or go to patreon.com slash allaboutbeer. Don't forget, All About Beer has a podcast channel now. Search and subscribe on your podcast platform of choice. Steal This Beer has new episodes every Monday, and the BYO Nano podcast comes out on the 15th of every month. As for the show, Mitch Weber does the music, Jeff Quinn designed our logo, and I'm John Hall. New episodes release every Wednesday, and that's when I'm going to be back again to drink beer and to think beer.